Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on CJRU 1280AM in Toronto. It's July 21st. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from updates on Paul Bernardo's transfer to the refugee crisis and funding dispute in Toronto to an event shining light on local artists in the heart of the city. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. Trigger warning, this episode contains mentions of sexual violence, death, kidnapping, and rape. Notorious serial rapist and convicted killer Paul Bernardo will remain in medium security prison. Bernardo was moved from a maximum security prison by the Correctional Service of Canada earlier this year. According to a review, the move was, quote, sound and followed all regulations. CSC Commissioner Ann Kelly said in a report released Thursday that the decision will stand. Bernardo was moved from Millhaven Institution in Ontario to the La Macaza Institution in Quebec. CSC said the move was an effective plan to integrate offenders. Bernardo's behavior was described as, quote, generally conformist, according to CBC News. His security classification was reviewed every two years between 1999 and 2022. However, the report notes that CSC should have taken additional steps to provide, quote, more proactive and meaningful discussions with victims prior to Bernardo's transfer. The victims' families were not notified about the change, which has caused an influx of criticism from the nation. Kelly said in a statement, I recognize that some may not support this outcome. While this case has opened up a larger and important debate about the role of corrections in our society, it is important for us to look at the larger context. Our feelings towards an offender must not guide our decisions. The report provides detailed information on Bernardo's time behind bars. While he had been eligible to be moved up to medium security prison for a while, the concern was that he would be at a heightened safety risk due to a high-profile offender status. CBC reports Bernardo also applied to be transferred in June of 2022, but was rejected due to his failure to integrate with other inmates. He was fully integrated by July 2022 and working with senior officials at Millhaven Institution. La Macaza's staff specialize in programming for sex offenders. CSC stated the institution includes a well-defined perimeter, high fences, 24-7 strict guarding, and inmate movement monitoring. Kelly said Thursday, I want to be clear that, at any point, an inmate can be returned to a higher security level, if deemed necessary, to ensure the safety of the public or our institutions. Bernardo is serving an indeterminate life sentence for the kidnapping, rape, torture, and murder of two teenagers. He is also incarcerated for the death of Tammy Homolka. He is 58 years old. American singer Tony Bennett has died at the age of 96. His publicist, Sylvia Weiner, confirmed the death to the Associated Press on Friday. She said he died of no specific cause in his hometown of New York. Bennett was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2016. CTV News reports Bennett would often say that his lifelong ambition was to create, quote, a hit catalog rather than hit records. The singer released more than 70 albums, bringing him 17 competitive Grammys before he even turned 60. He was known to enjoy deep and lasting affection from fans and fellow artists, CBC reports. 
In an interview with the Associated Press in 2006, Bennett said, I think people are touched if they hear something that's sincere and honest, and maybe has a little sense of humor. I just like to make people feel good when I perform. Friend and mentor Frank Sinatra said in an interview with Life magazine in 1965, For my money, Tori Bennett is the best singer in the business. He excites me when I watch him. He moves me. He's the singer who gets across what the composer has in mind, and probably a little more. Bennett released his final album, Love is Sale, in 2021, which featured duets with Lady Gaga. He chose the working-class community in New York City, Astoria, for the Frank Sinatra School of the Arts. CTV reports his full name was Anthony Dominic Benedetto. His father was an Italian immigrant who brought the love of singing into Bennett. But he credits his mother, who worked as a seamstress and took care of her three children with teaching him valuable life lessons. In the 2006 interview with the Associated Press, Bennett said, We were very impoverished. I saw her working, and every once in a while she'd take a dress and throw it over her shoulder, and she'd say, Don't have me work on a bad dress. I'll only work on good dresses. A U.S. federal judge has set former U.S. President Donald Trump's trial in the classified document case to begin in mid-May 2024. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon said that the trial could begin as early as May 20th and hold its pretrial hearing on May 14th. CTV reports Trump and his team had hoped the trial would be delayed until November 2024, after the general election. Trump was charged and indicted in June for allegedly unlawfully retaining national defense information and obstructive conduct. He pled not guilty. Cannon attributed this date to the, quote, voluminous evidence prosecutors were providing and complexities with the classified material. She added that the court will be, quote, faced with extensive pretrial monitoring practice on a diverse number of legal and factual issues, all in connection with a 38-count indictment. Toronto City Council is asking staff to closely police Toronto's $1.5 billion snow-clearing program. CBC reports last winter's service was full of complaints, equipment and staff shortages, and was $26 million over budget. Two reports contain lists of recommendations from the city's Auditor General. Some included keeping better records, using them to apply, quote, liquidated damages, and fining contractors who don't provide service according to the terms of their 10-year deal. City staff have said they've already begun to implement the suggestions, including fining contractors at the beginning of this winter. CBC reports charges are ranging, but that contractors may be charged up to $200 for every minute they are late, leaving the city depot yard. Councillor Jamal Myers said, We're not going to wait to apply liquidated damages this time. We will start applying them immediately, if there are problems with this contract. The city tracked but did not fine until the end of last year because it believed the companies might be financially viable if pursued for the penalties. When it finally fined, it only did so when contractors left a depot late or did not correct problems within two hours of being notified. Last winter included a new system where two companies and their joint venture handled all of the snow clearing in most of Toronto but contractors were unable to obtain proper equipment and to hire operators at the start of the deal. The report states that due to issues when installing GPS and poor accountability practices, the city is unable to know for sure if the work it paid for was done. 
Transportation Services Division General Manager Barbara Gray told Council that GPS services are now installed in all of the approximately 1,200 vehicles. Meanwhile, the city is currently facing a housing crisis and funding dispute with the federal government. Many refugees and asylum seekers have been living on the streets in downtown Toronto. Most were told to seek shelter at a federal intake center on Peter Street after the city ran out of money to deal with its housing crisis. Earlier this week, over 200 people were moved to two churches in North York. The federal government has since pledged to provide an additional $97 million to fund housing for these Toronto individuals. The municipal and provincial government then pledged an almost $7 million each as a one-time payment to top up the Canada-Ontario housing benefit. Recently elected Mayor Olivia Chow also proposed a motion which was passed by Toronto City Council and will open 150 shelter spaces for refugee claimants and 100 more spaces in the upcoming days. I spoke with Matthew House Executive Director Jackie Townsta-Harrison about this crisis. There's a sort of perfect storm um, happening in the city of Toronto right now, which is that we've had many, many more refugee claims than we did the previous year. And we have much less homeless shelter space in general, but specifically the hotel programs that were accepting refugees. Um, several of those leases have ended. So there's more people claiming refugee status in Canada, so higher demand, but less beds are available. And this is all also kind of happening in the context of a lack of affordable housing. So the the um, city housing subsidy that allowed people to move out of homeless shelter, that ended in April. So we also don't have, you know, this incentive to help people find an actual home. So it's a few things happening all at once. I think the big thing that I would like to get across is that oftentimes people talk about the the refugee housing issue as though refugees are one group. And in fact, the federal government does provide funding support for government-sponsored refugees. And in Canada, we're also really lucky to have a private refugee sponsorship program where there's some financial support attached to that. But the group of refugees that we're talking about that don't receive funds or any support from the federal government is refugee claimants. They're also commonly called asylum seekers. And this group is in many ways the most vulnerable and challenged because they don't have sort of a settlement program that they can join when they get here. When they've fled persecution, they've done so generally in a very like last minute manner. And then on top of it all, unlike um, the other two categories I mentioned, government sponsored or privately sponsored refugees, asylum claim seekers or refugee claimants don't have status when they arrive. So their lives are very much on pause until they kind of get through a series of processes that culminate in a very important day. And that day is the refugee hearing. And that is the day where an adjudicator, like a judge, will decide whether they are going to be deported or if they, in fact, um, have proven their claim to be credible. And then they're offered the protection of Canada, and now they can stay and start their life. And all of that takes a long time. So this group has sort of more to do, less status, more precarious, but yet they, they, they don't get funding allocated to them by the federal government. She described why it is so difficult for refugees to get their status situation resolved. It's a very high-stakes legal process, so you do need to make sure that the paperwork they're asking for is filed. 
it's very helpful to have an address for the IRB, the Immigration and Refugee Board, to send their correspondence to you and to have those kinds of systems set up. So what we do at Matthew House is, is a really good job of providing our residents with staff support to help them navigate all the various things they need, like legal aid, Ontario Works, evidence for their claim, how to, you know, how to apply for all of these different um, things that they need to start their life, including interim federal health insurance so that they can go to the doctor because they can't do that right away. Um, but when you're in a general homeless shelter kind of situation, especially in Toronto where we're really down beds, like there's really no support there, um, those shelters are typically set up to deal with folks that have been street involved for a longer period of time. Maybe that's um, they have better mental health supports. Um, they might have addiction awareness programs or substance abuse programs. They might have referrals for them, other other uh, types of persistent housing issues that they may have. But what they're not set up for is all of this refugee kind of specific stuff, which is why we've really been advocating that the, the funding that the city is, is seeking, that a good portion of that be allocated towards claimants because it is the bulk of who is being unhoused right now, especially at the Peter Street location, which is probably the one everyone's familiar um, with seeing on the news. Townsta Harrison pointed out what the Matthew House is doing for these refugees and asylum seekers. So Matthew House is um, in Toronto. We're a group of six homes for refugee claimants, so not government-sponsored or privately-sponsored refugees, and recently arrived. One of our homes is a short-stay shelter, um, say three to six months right now. It used to be much shorter. And the other ones are more transitional housing, like one to two years, and those are for more vulnerable refugees, especially unaccompanied minors and young people, so young people that are coming alone without their parents. And all of our homes are set up kind of for a family feel. Um, in addition to the paid staff that we have around to help with paperwork, each house also has a house mentor, which is just a lovely volunteer person who chooses for a season of their life to move into one of our homes and live communally with refugees. So it is shared kitchens and shared bathrooms and all of that. But they provide that kind of um, emotional support and friendship that is so critical to starting a new life. And it's something that, you know, we don't talk about a lot because if you gave me a billion dollars, I still probably couldn't fix it. But friendship is, is very much needed. People need like five people that they can call in a new country if they don't know how to do something or if they're not sleeping well or if they just want to hang out because they're bored. So that's kind of what we, we try to focus on, that sort of deep connection, community connection support. As well, we run the Refugee Mock Hearing Program, which is just a rehearsal and preparation service for that very important day I mentioned. Um, and it's kind of a movement. There's Matthew houses in other cities, Ottawa, Fort Erie, Windsor, um, all kind of started from our founder, Ann Wolger, had this vision that you know refugees were not being well served in the general homeless population. And so we're really pleased to do that. We're really pleased that we have six homes. It's still not enough. Um, well, we, we had an invitation with um, our sister shelters in the city, so there's a few others that do similar work, to actually meet with Mayor Olivia Chow. So we did do that last week and sit around a table. And the request was made that definitely housing funding be allocated for refugee claimants, that the city also um, have an emergency response outside of their discussions with the federal government, which are very much needed. We do need a today response of an emergency nature to house people appropriately. Refugees are having trench foot, like hygiene, serious hygiene issues because they're not given access to facilities. 
where they can shower. Um, they may be damaging their claim because they're not getting proper services right away. So the emergency management request is, is very much a, a now thing. Um, as well, we, we want the city to plan for refugee capacity in the future. The same group of shelters made a request in 2019 for a refugee capacity building plan that was very clear and well outlined. And had the city acted on that plan in 2019, we wouldn't have the scarcity of beds that we have today. Um, and then the last thing we're asking for is the return of the housing subsidies that allow people to leave shelter so that we open up more beds. If I had housing subsidies available to refugee residents that Matthew has today, I could probably turn over 40 or 50 beds for newly arrived refugees. But the lack of the housing subsidy makes it very difficult for, for newly arrived refugees to even find a place. And she mentioned what other Torontonians can do to help. I think just for folks listening, sometimes you feel like um, there's not a lot you can do. You can do a lot. There's a petition from Progress Toronto right now um, that you can sign on to to support refugees and make sure that we all get the resources that we need to um, help and welcome recently arrived refugees. But also, if you know a refugee or you meet someone in your life, um, be a friend to that person. Just know that the social contacts are incredibly important. And you don't have to ask about their past or their story. That could be re-traumatizing. But asking, you know, how you can help today or what their goals are for the future is always a great help to people. And if you do have um, a spare bedroom, we run a community host program. So uh, we would place somebody vetted that has lived in one of our shelters in a, a community member's home for a small period of time just to help alleviate some of this backlog. So um, if anybody does have any resources like that or they want to volunteer with us, my email is Jackie at MatthewHouse.ca. Romero House Executive Director Francesca Alodi ross had similar things to say. Yeah, so I would describe it as a sheltered crisis that's affecting refugees rather than a refugee crisis. But basically, there are many people who are arriving to Canada seeking protection uh, from around the world every day. About three or to four hundred are making claims at Pearson Airport every week, and there's no one for them to sleep. Uh, we have a housing crisis in the city, and the uh, it's affecting refugee claimants the hardest because um, they have no money and often. Um, don't have uh, friends or family here and so it, even when they get a shelter spot it's very hard to move out of the shelter into permanent housing so the shelters are, are stagnant they're very full and people aren't able to move of them and new refugee planets can't move in um, and there's a big dispute between the different levels of government about who is responsible for funding emergency shelter for refugee claimants uh, and so that's sort of what led us to the situation we're in now, which is hundreds of people sleeping on the streets for the last uh, couple months. It's a problem because people, uh, I think housing is a human right. Everyone deserves housing, especially in a country as wealthy as Canada. We are, we, that is something we can do, um, but it's something that we have not invested in for decades, and now we're seeing the consequences of that. Um, and we've seen the last few weeks significant health issues that refugee claimants are having. There's one person who uh, developed trench foot from living outside um, in the wet. There's women who are menstruating and don't have anywhere to shower or bathe themselves or, you know, menstrual products. Um, yeah, a lot of 
severe and unusual health conditions that the emergency department at St. Mike's uh, has reported that they're they're seeing um, from the heat and the and the wet and the air pollution. So it's uh, yeah, it's really a humanitarian crisis that we're seeing on our doorstep. So refugee statements. I think want housing like all of us want, uh, a safe and dignified place to live while they go through the process of the government assessing whether they fit the definition of a refugee and are allowed to stay in Canada or not. Yes, housing and how to make that happen. So we need all three levels of government to be part of the solution. So the federal government is responsible for immigration and so they need to step up the province has a big role to play in housing and a big responsibility in that area. And they also have money. We know that they have a surplus right now. Um, And the city that manages the shelter system also has a role to play at all three levels of government need to invest funding. And uh, many of them have been pointing fingers at each other saying, oh, this is your problem, this is your problem. Um, So we have seen some promising developments this week from the federal government uh, promising $97 million for Toronto specifically for our shelter system. Um, the province offered $6 million and the city offered $6 million towards uh, COB, which is a, a rent supplement that allows people to move out of shelters into private housing. Um, so those are, are promising, but much more is needed. Um, one more proposal that we're pushing for to address the issues that we're seeing is a reception center for refugees. So um, this plan was approved by the city in 2018, but unfortunately it didn't end up happening because of funding issues and then COVID. Um, but it would be a place where everyone who was coming to the city looking for protection under a refugee program could go and be connected with housing and support services and because refugee claimants have a lot of urgent deadlines when they first arrive to do their medical and get their claims in within a certain number of days. So we, uh, city, uh, on the 19th, agreed to um, to look at that plan again and set up that center. So we're very hopeful about that, and uh, we just need to make sure that it gets the funding that it needs to be successful. She described what her organization is doing to combat the crisis and help refugees. Um, we've been involved in in talking to other partners around the city who are working on this, so other refugee houses and support organizations, um, African and Black-led organizations that are supporting many of the African migrants that we've seen from coming from Uganda, Kenya, um, Eritrea, uh, and many other countries, and. Um, also working with outreach and homelessness uh, organizations. And so we've been working together to um, to manage the immediate crisis, but also to pressure governments to step up. Um, and we'll be meeting, we met with the mayor last week, and we'll maybe be meeting with the mayor again on Tuesday um, and hope for some positive progress there. In terms of other things that we've been doing, um, this needs a systemic response from all three levels of government. And we also try to help the people that show up. There are families that come every day to our doors with their suitcases who just come from the airport um, and really don't know anything about how the system works. Often, you know, they faced uh, 
threats to their life in their home country and they scrambled to you know take what they could and find however they a way to get to Canada somehow um, but they they don't know much about the process so we try to help them we have what's called a community host program so neighbors who have a spare room or an apartment and are willing to have refugee claimants stay with them uh, we we match those people together and we've housed over 150 people um, in the last uh, since the crisis started, which was really a year and a half ago. Um, and if there's listeners who are interested in, in participating in that program, please send us an email at info at romerohouse.org, or you can check out our website, Romero House in Toronto. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a one way to help until governments step in and address the more, the long-term issues. Um, I think one other thing we can add is that we've also been receiving some donations, uh, material support, and uh, offering that to the, the refugee claimants that live in our houses, and also refugee claimants who come in looking for um, support in um, settlement support who just arrived. Um, so yeah, on our website, we also have a list of donations that we're looking for um, that's updated regularly. And also, we, we did go up and visit the the Revival Time Church on Dufferin Street, where 200 refugee claimants were, have been very graciously housed for the last few days um, and brought some supplies up to them. I know that they received a lot of donations, and part of the, the struggle at this point is like coordinating all of the donations that, that people offer when they hear about these things on the news. So um, thank you, everyone, for their generosity and um, just some patience in, in figuring out how to Finally, Toronto's CIBC Square will be hosting Tuesday Tunes for the majority of the summer. The event started on July 4th and will take place every Tuesday between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the park on the fourth floor of CIBC Square. It aims to showcase local talent. I spoke with this week's performers, Kimaya and Daryl Joseph Denny. Well, my friend Daryl and I'm a keyboardist. We've been coming here since November 2022 um, through Lost in Vocal Studios. So we both work there. You know, I'm a coach there. Um, he's been an accompanist there for many, many years. And so um, Lorraine Lawson, who owns and directs Lost in Vocal Studios, who is coach to the stars in Canada, um, she developed a relationship with Heinz, who operates the company that operates CIBC Square. And they wanted to infuse some entertainment and, and just bring back a vibe, you know, to, to the workspace once people are starting to come back to work. Um, so we've been here since November but they've recently activated this outside space, the park, and so we were here um, about a month ago, and we're back here again today on a Tuesday evening for the for the Tuesday tune. So it's really great to see that there's, you know, a recurring initiative to have musicians playing live music, you know? People miss it, people enjoy it, and it doesn't always have to be a big show. Sometimes it's just a beautiful thing to enjoy the vibe and have some musicians serenading you while you eat your snacks and read a book and meet some friends. Um, just to be able to share the gift of music um, with people here, we know that you, after a long day's work, sometimes it's a little stressful and just have the opportunity to relax and to take in some nice music. Uh, to be able to share that gift is uh, very meaningful. The event provided attendees with free snacks, water and soft drinks. Games like Giant Jenga, Giant Connect 4 and Cornhole were available for play. Some attendees described how lovely it is to come to an event like this after a long, arduous day at work.
Uh, they've been hosting a lot of new events out here, so we've been trying to get the team out. Atmosphere is amazing, very lively, and uh, it's making me look forward to the rest of the summer at work. We look forward to this uh, every Tuesday because they, they typically hold uh, the live music here Tuesdays. They have snacks and other beverages, but yeah, something our team looks forward to uh, when 5 o'clock comes around. So definitely excited. Heinz Community Manager Lisa Roris said in an emailed statement to CGRU 1280AM that the goal was to create, quote, a platform for young talent to explore their creativity and share it with the world. Roris added, the music business is fairly competitive and our vision at CIBC Square is to promote these musicians in the most positive light. The emailed statement also said the park is, quote, the only park of its kind. It is elevated from the noise of the downtown core, with a railway that overlooks the city. It is also conveniently placed near Union Station, right in the financial district. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.